Russia-backed news organization RT America shuttered its doors on March 4th, after it was dropped from several cable companies in the U.S. and banned on YouTube across Europe. Despite its reputation as a propaganda outfit, the network gave shows to anti-war dissidents such as myself and the legendary Chris Hedges for years. Chris Hedges is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, the former Middle East bureau chief for the New York Times, and the author of several books, including War is a Force That Gives Us Meaning. While many celebrate the takedown of Russian media, one of the many casualties of RT's closure is Chris's weekly show on Contact. Look out for his future work on Substack. I caught up with Chris on March 10th to get his thoughts on RT America closing down and the ongoing war in Ukraine. So yeah, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the Empire Files podcast. Sure. Chris, let's start with Russia Today, America permanently shuttering its doors last week. Along with many other shows, your show On Contact was shut down, which broadcasted on RT America for over five years. Let's go back to 2016, when On Contact started. Talk about why you chose to do a show on RT in the first place. Well, um, so I had had a show on Elysore. Uh, and then with the collapse of left-wing governments in Argentina and other countries, Telesur crashed and burned. And uh, uh, the show went off the air, and then RT approached me about reconstituting the show uh, on RT. They, they branded it with a different name, but it was essentially the same show. Um, they promised editorial independence. I said, you know, if they started telling me what to say or who to interview, it was over. They didn't never did that, uh, and uh, and I had a good run. I primarily interviewed authors, uh, but also dissidents and critics: Cornell West, Noam Chomsky, uh, Glenn Greenwald, you know Matt Tybee, all sorts of people who have been pushed to the margins. Uh, and of course, the tragedy is that with the constriction of the American media, uh, there's just no place anymore. I mean, just the fact that I'm a very public supporter of BDS alone it essentially gets me deplatformed everywhere uh and and they went after rt as you well know not because number one it had much of a media footprint a very tiny uh kind of platform uh but as you saw in the director of national intelligence report which went after you by name although you already left rt uh the idea or or the anger on the part of the state was that rt gave a voice to, and these are their words, anti-fracking activists, Black Lives Matter uh, members, uh, third-party candidates, anti-capitalists, anti-imperialists. Uh, and you've just seen a concerted effort, uh, you know, essentially emanating out of Silicon Valley with uh, algorithms, with this anonymous website, Prop or Not, uh, propaganda or not, published on the front page of the Washington Post, which accused all sorts of left-wing sites of being uh, agents for the Russian government. Uh, there's just been a really concerted effort to silence critics uh, of the corporate state. And I think that's because, uh, not because those critics necessarily have a wide following, but because they speak a truth about the corruption and the mendacity and the crimes. Uh, of the corporate state that it that especially as its hold on power becomes more and more fragile and its credibility becomes uh, more tattered 
uh, it doesn't want those truths disseminated. Right. I mean, you started working at RT America after I left. This was right before the DNI report came out that was supposed to be the slam dunk case proving how Russian propaganda and disinformation sowed the seeds, I guess, for the election of Donald Trump. As you mentioned, it all it really did, Chris, it seemed like kind of a cursory attempt from some intern <laughs> spending <laughs> no more than a couple hours just throwing this piecemeal report together that basically pointed out that the real danger that RT America posed was simply presenting these forbidden viewpoints. The network filled a void left by the lack of real reporting from corporate media by airing grievances, uplifting voices that our oligarchs don't want us to see or hear. And at the same time, this influence of Russian propaganda was just being greatly exaggerated, overly inflated for years and years to absolve the political establishment from its failures. I mean, we know what the real threat of RT was and always has been to these people, but what this does is sanitize our reality. It infantilizes us and basically just further constricts the already very limited parameters of acceptable debate. Yeah. And you're seeing pretty, uh, I find it very shocking, interventions I mean, for instance, uh, the uh, shutting the New York Post, I don't like the New York Post particularly, but shutting the New York Post out of its own Twitter account to block during the campaign the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, this is just stunning. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the New York Times calling it disinformation. Well, you know, nobody has questioned the veracity of what was on that laptop. Uh, and And then I know from personal experience how the algorithms have marginalized my own columns. I was writing for Truthdig before uh, we all, the publisher tried to fire Bob Shear, and then we tried to form a union, and then we all got fired, um, and she shut the site down. But uh, after that uh, 2017 report, uh, the IT people at Truthdig uh, uh, did a graph of impression. So you go into Google, you type in imperialism. If I had written anything recently on imperialism, I'd come up with anything else. And, uh, and then they would refer it to that article. So referrals from impressions dropped over a 12-month period from over 700,000 to below 200,000. I'm sure they're much less now, I mean, they're, they're absolutely vicious on Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, of course. So um, there, there are coordinated fronts that are really working to shut down uh, what's left of any kind of independent media and independent voices. Right. I mean, this algorithmic censorship really, uh, it was very insidious because a lot of people had no idea it was happening. It simply backpaged all of these alternative news sites. And what was most disturbing about it was this acquiescence to the state, this kind of preemptive measure on behalf of Silicon Valley tech giants to do all this before. I mean, there was no legislation in place, but it was them who said, no, we need to task ourselves with these fact checking, you know, this methodology of fact checking where we're going to employ people from the Atlantic Council to now deem what is and what is not truth, reality. And all of a sudden, our reality was just curated for us by these uh, big tech overlords. And it really precipitated this overt censorship we're seeing play out today and and made it kind of that much more acceptable. Yeah, and we should talk about the collaboration of the commercial press. Uh, because the uh, reason they claim that they're censoring alternative media is because they're not reliable and they're not fact-based. Uh, and so they are making a very conscious effort to funnel readers and viewers back into the arms of CNN or MSNBC or my old employer, the New York Times, that 
did the famous Caliphate podcast, which was a complete hoax, spent two years slogging Russiagate, which turned out to be absolutely empty, sold us weapons of mass destruction. So the hubris on the part of these organizations that have committed, in my mind, egregious uh, journalistic sins is staggering. But uh, And again, that is uh, because these traditional media centers do not want uh, to be called out for their close collaboration with the power elite. Uh, and you can go back and look at what they've done to Julian Assange. So when WikiLeaks publishes the Iraqi war logs in 2010, uh, if the New York Times and Der Spiegel and The Guardian, and these publications did not publish this material, uh, they would essentially be exposed for their complicity with the state. And so they did. But then as soon as that material was published, they joined the campaign to, uh, in, in terms of character assassination and demonizing Julian and, and dropped him. And the cynicism on the part of those press organizations, I wasn't surprised. I worked at the New York Times for 15 years. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, and I think as Matt Taibbi has pointed out, essentially the model now for the press is that these organizations uh, cater to a particular demographic. Fox is one demographic, NPR, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times are another. They tell that demographic what they want to hear, uh, but then they also demonize the other demographic. You know, if you're coming from MSNBC and the New York Times, it's the deplorables. And that kind of widens the divide. It makes any kind of communication impossible. And nobody, of course, is discussing real issues of class. Uh, of the corporate coup d'etat, the most rapacious oligarchy uh, in uh, American history of the utter dysfunction of uh, the two ruling parties that are completely beholden at this point to corporate power and, of course, uh, uh, the military-industrial complex. That's all in this preview, Empire Babies. The full hour episode is available at patreon.com slash empirefiles. This episode is a thank you to our donors for making all of our videos free and accessible to everyone. If you like our work, I hope you join us on the Patreon community to get access to this and other great content.